0: The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 421. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all the social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audio book of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You also get great coupons. In fact, I've got a sale running right now on several of my courses. It ends at midnight, March 31st. So you've got a couple of days longer to pick up these deals because they will go away. And one of those classes that is on sale is my War for Southern Independence course. It is my best-selling course. You're going to want that one. It is on sale right now. So if you go over, get on my email list, you'll get the coupons. But make sure you're either on that email list or you're enrolled at McClanahan Academy because you're getting the emails as well. So you're going to want to get on the email list to get the best deals. And again, if you purchase one of my classes that does support this show, it keeps it free of charge, and that's a great thing. So go on over to McClanahan Academy and do that. Also, click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way there. You can help me keep these lights on. You can buy a book plate if you want to, if you want one of my autographs and one of my books. My most recent is Southern Scribblings, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. It is a great book. My last episode, Episode 420, covered an essay out of that book, which is in defense of Robert E. Lee. So you're going to want that book as well. But I've got a whole bunch of other books Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, Forgotten Conservatives in American History. I've got a lot of stuff out there. So you can going to get one of those books that does also help support the show. And, of course, share this podcast around where you get Your podcast, rate it where you get your podcast, let people know you're listening to it, put it on social media. That's the way we help grow the audience. So, think locally, act locally is the theme. Now, today I'm going to talk about an article that appeared at MSN.com a few days ago. It's written by Daniel Dresner. It's an opinion piece, and the title is What is the future for conservative ideas? Now, I'm sure MSN is really concerned about conservative ideas in America. But the title is what drew me to this, for a number of reasons. Because I think there is a misconception about what cons- what American conservatism actually is. What is it? Is it an ism? As I just said, conservatism? Well, in this particular case, you would believe it. Because conservatism would have to involve ideas. It would be an ideology. An ideology driven by some preconceived worldview that would then result in policy coming from government. Now, this is interesting because the question that has to be, is conservative really an ideology at all? And this is where you get into terms like reactionary, conservative as an ideology, conservative as a non-ideology. I used to call myself an American traditionalist because I believe in certain parts of the Anglo-American tradition that would then influence how I would vote on things or influence how I looked at American governing documents. Because at the end of the day, if you are American conservative, the core of that should be one thing only. and That is adherence to the U.S. Constitution as written and ratified. That's it. Now, When you start looking at government at the local and state level, then you can do a whole lot of different things there. You can actually be someone who believes in, well, I could be a real federalist, which is I support the original federal constitution and still favor things like socialism in California, if that was you. Or you could be a libertarian at the state level and local level and say what we should have at the state and local level are libertarian policies. That's an entirely different thing. For me, American politics and American government, first and foremost, has to center on a belief in federalism. And if you listen to this show, that's where I start from everything. So people have asked me many times, are you conservative? Are you a libertarian? Are you a you know, liberal? What I mean, what are you? And I will say then I'm an American traditionalist. I believe in federalism, which is the core tenant of the American political system, as ratified in the U.S. Constitution. I'm going to start with that. I believe in the sovereignty of the people and the sovereignty of the states. The sovereign people of the sovereign states, I believe in that. And so when you go from there, then we can talk about other things at the state and local level. But if you believe in those things from the beginning, then what you're going to do is oppose... Virtually all federal legislation. It doesn't mean you're a conservative. It means that what you're trying to do is preserve the Constitution as ratified. And I think that makes you an American conservative in a way. I mean, look, Jefferson was that. Jefferson's core guiding principle was federalism. Now, he went back on that at times. There's no question about that. In his second term... You did some things, you're thinking, ah, you're scratching your head. What the heck is this guy doing? And, of course, those are going to set the stage for national republicanism and Henry Clay and all kinds of things. And if you take my American history course at McClanahan Academy, I get into all that. But I think this is the key. And so when you start talking about conservative ideas, essentially what you're doing is building a case for conservatism which is a reaction to liberalism or progressivism or leftist, whatever you want to say it is. It's a reaction to the left. Unfortunately, when you start saying these things as well, you run into a real issue. And that is, conservatives since the 19th century in America, as Robert Louis Dabney pointed out, don't really want to conserve anything. They simply want to soften whatever the left is doing. And this gets down to Lincolnianism. You see... When you start running around and saying that Lincoln is our guiding principle as American conservatives, what you are doing is buying into the left. You can't go anywhere but there. Because you see, Lincoln adopted the national republicanism of Henry Clay, which was by default an extension of Alexander Hamilton. And even Russell Kirk did not consider Hamilton a conservative. Because he wasn't really conserving anything. Hamilton was an innovator. Hamilton believed in constitutional machinations. Hamilton went back on what the founding generation said about the Constitution. Himself included, when he sold it to the states for ratification. Now, of course, there were parts of this where Hamilton you know, made some statements. You could say, well, I mean, he's, he's foreshadowing what he's going to do. And I agree with that. Right? But Hamilton, for the most part, argued for a constitution he didn't want. And if you take my originalist papers class at McClanahan Academy, I get into that. Part two is coming in April. This is where you're going to get the best deals on forthcoming courses. If you are a McClanahan Academy subscriber, because part two is in the works, it will be out in April. Which I'll get into more Hamilton and that. But I also talk about a lot of other people too. So what's happened with conservatism in America is that it's based on FDR's second Bill of Rights. How can you say that, McClanahan? FDR, Second Bill of Rights is a bunch of socialist nonsense. I agree. So what did the right do? They said, well, that went too far, so we've got to soften it, but we generally believe in the same things. And we know this because this is what the right has done since 1948. This is what American conservatives, conservatism, has done since 1948. With exceptions. I mean, look, there are people on the right don't agree with any of that, don't agree with any of the second Bill of Rights. The problem is when they get in power in the general government, they have to, this is where the general government is really the problem, and why John C. Calhoun is more important than Abraham Lincoln for American conservatives, because Calhoun was trying to figure out how to make federalism work with teeth. And that was his concurrent majority. There had to be teeth. And the concurrent majority, of course, is important because it does allow for minorities to have a role in the government. Right? It allows for a negative on any legislation that would cause problems. Positive legislation. You see, legislation by default, in many ways, is a positive expression of power. These are the things we want to do, so we're going to make a piece, we're going to create a law and make, create a piece of legislation that's going to make people do certain things, or it's going to give people certain things. You see, what happened after 1945, which... FDR's second Bill of Rights, they became all the leftist talking points. And still to this day, if you go back and look at that second Bill of Rights, which is, I'm going to have a class on some of the most important speeches in American history. And that's one of them because of what it's done for the last 70 years, 80 years almost in American history, right? We're coming up on 2025, 80 years In just a few years, it'll be 80 years since that. And this is exactly what the left has done for 80 years. This is why I've said before, the left are the real conservatives now in America. Because what they're trying to do is conserve that revolution that Roosevelt put in place during the Great Depression, the New Deal, and of course, then the second Bill of Rights, which of course the New Deal was created by Herbert Hoover, by no means a conservative. Lincoln's vision was ideas based on a proposition nation. Roosevelt capitalized on that. You see, Lincoln revolutionized the revolution. The founders didn't speak in these terms. You go back and you look at the debates over the Constitution. The Declaration was brought up, but generally as a way of showing that they could change the government. They could actually go in and decide to change the government. They could alter or abolish the government. This is what Jefferson said in the Declaration. They weren't talking about equality and all men are created equal. That, that was no proposition there. They weren't looking at that. What they were looking at is the fact we can change the government if it's not working. Now, you also have to understand the Constitution was a continuation of the Articles of Confederation, a federal republic, a confederated republic. That's what that meant. So when we get to 1948 and we got Dewey v. Truman, Dewey wasn't really interested in tearing down the New Deal at all. Truman painted him that way. In fact, that's how Truman won in 1948 when he ran around saying that uh, Dewey was going to be so far to the right, he's going to tear down the New Deal. He wasn't. Dewey had never made any overtures that he was going to do that. In fact, Dewey was kind of a Mitt Romney, right? I mean, Dewey was not an arch-conservative in any way. Dewey had a high public profile because he beat up on organized crime in New York. He was seen as a law and order guy. People liked him. And early in the process in 1948, it looked like Dewey was going to win in a landslide. And, of course, later Truman does his whistle-stop tour, gets on the back of trains, and man of the people comes out in his bathrobe or, you know, he's getting out there late at night. I'm just one of you. Just vote for me because we got this evil right-winger getting ready to take power, and he's going to undo the New Deal. And this is exactly what the left has resorted to since 1948. Because anytime you have somebody coming in, a conservative, quote-unquote conservative, what does the left resort to? And that is fear-mongering. Well, if you elect this guy, what's he going to do? He's going to tear down everything that we've built. He's going to make it awful. He's going to tear it all down. So then how does the right react to that? Well, they create things like Heritage Foundation, where they come up with their own policies to rework these things, but keep them in place. We saw this with the Trump administration. Trump ran on repealing Obamacare and then replacing it. Well, they could never come up with a replacement. Why? Because they believe in it. There was no repeal. For years, Republicans stumped on repealing Obamacare. We're going to take it to John McCain. We're going to take it to the courts. We're going to do the courts. John McCain didn't want that thing to go away. And once you give out the candy, you can't take it back. Once Santa Claus visits with a big sack of goodies and dumps them at your doorstep, there's no taking this stuff back, and Republicans know it. This is why they try to tweak the policies but never get rid of the policies. You see, the left has won, ultimately. They have won. They have won because once you put it in place, you never get rid of it. Conservatives never fight hard enough to keep it out of being put in place to begin with. And the left knows that giving out goodies is a very popular way to win elections. You give people stuff, people don't care. They don't care about ramifications 10 years down the road. They just want the stuff now. They don't care what happens 20 years down the road. They don't care about any of that. Can I get a check right now? Can I get a benefit right now? Can I get something right now? So conservatives dabbling in ideas is disastrous. Conservatives need to be John Randolph of Roanoke, who said no to everything. There's no dabbling in ideas. When asked, what are you going to replace it with? Nothing. Because it's unconstitutional. You can't have it. If this is something that has to be done, let the states handle it, like Mitt Romney did in Massachusetts, which was a disaster, by the way. You see, it doesn't work. So you foist it on an entire 50 states when something wouldn't even work in one state, now you're going to say it's going to work in all the states? I highly doubt that. So let's look at this piece by Daniel Dresner. Earlier this week, Kay Coles James stepped down as president of the Heritage Foundation. Who the heck he is, I have no idea. Along with Executive Vice President Kim Holmes. James was appointed in 2017 to repair the carnage wreaked by Jim DeMint when he was Heritage president. While Heritage under DeMint wielded more political influence, the caliber of ideas took a beating. The caliber of ideas took a beating. What does that even mean? And... Uh... This means that the left didn't like the fact that maybe Heritage was essentially becoming no. Now, Heritage Foundation is an interesting beast in and of itself. Because it's become, in so many ways, the neoconservative think tank in the United States. Now, it wasn't, it didn't have to be that way. That happened because of the 1980s, when the neoconservatives took over the general government under the Reagan administration. And... There's an article about there, or a chapter, I should say, about that in my book with Clyde Wilson, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, on Emmy Bradford. And, of course, Paul Gottfried has done great work at this, uh, on this subject. He was, of course, in the government back in the 70s, saw the neoconservatives coming in. It was like a tidal wave. I mean, at first, he says, you know, they, they just laughed at him. But, I mean, this is like a tidal wave. These people coming in, and, of course, then they got ingrained in many of these think tanks in D.C., and that creates the entire problem. Heritage Foundation could have been something different. But once the neoconservatives got in, once Bradford was booted out of a position in the general government, once all the paleocons were essentially marginalized, well, that was it. That signaled the demise of a potential paleoconservative resurgence in American government. And this defeat of conservative, real American conservatives, again, this goes back to 1970, Dabney pointed out, that American conservatives simply just want to conserve a softer version of what the left's doing. And they do this by, by being Hillsdale College and by being the Heritage Foundation and saying, well, you know, the Proposition Nation is the core of America. It's about all, people, all men are created equal. And the Declaration and Lincoln and uh, the war to preserve. The war got rid of all these evil Southerners like John C. Calhoun. You pushed all these people out who said terrible things about stuff. So this piece continues, assessing how well James did at his job reveals some interesting fissures within the conservative movement after four years of Donald Trump. Well, these fissures have always been there. Go back and look at Reagan running against Ford in 1976. Reagan was trying to capture that fissure that was it already existed. Ford was a neoconservative. And, I mean... There's no doubt about this. And he brought the neoconservatives in with him. And then, of course, Ford loses to Jimmy Carter. And then Reagan comes in. And you look around. Donald Trump did the same thing. Gets into office 2016. I don't know if Trump really thought he was going to win. So when he gets into office in 2017, he's looking around. Well, who do I put in government positions? Well, the neoconservatives. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm right here. And, of course, all these people get in the government. And then they work to undermine everything that he does. Because that's what neoconservatives are. They're really just, this is where I did the podcast on Biden Republicans. This is who these people are. They're just establishment wonks, establishment hacks. They just want the power. And they don't care if it's Biden or they don't care if it's Bush. They don't care if it's Trump. They don't care if it's Obama. They just want to be in the government. Because that's what what they're drawn to. These are power-hungry people. And they're never going to support policies that limit federal power. Which is what real American conservatism is all about. It's federalism. The Wall Street Journal editorial board thanked James and Holmes for riding the ship when it was foundering. Real clear politics Philip Wegman used the exact same metaphor in characterizing James having stepped in to help steady the ship. Well, if these people are saying it, then you know he probably did something wrong. (laughs) I mean, you look at who's saying stuff, you're like, oh, this guy probably isn't that good. On the other hand, former Heritage staffer and Trump official Andrew Colster offered less charitable thoughts about the outgoing Heritage leadership. Colster argued in the American conservative, I can think of no time Heritage really made the news during James's tenure. And I know of numerous mid-to-senior-level rock stars who left Heritage, at least in part because of the difficulty in fighting for a commander who couldn't address today's challenges. Well, this is getting back to Trump. Is Trump causing the fissure, or is that fissure already there? The fissure has been there for a long, long, long time. And the coalition that Reagan was able to develop, and of course he turned his back on, is what really needs to happen. You have people, the paleoconservatives, libertarians, people that are interested in restricting federal power and simply saying, no, this is what Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, some of the people in in D.C. do better than others. It is reining in everything. Not really having something to replace something with, or something to say, we're but just saying no. It's Ron Paul. No. This is just Ill. this is unconstitutional. It's illegal because it's unconstitutional. You just can't do it. Now, of course, that's not even a discussion most of the time. I know in the um, HR one, which I talked about on this particular podcast, which is a disaster of a federal bill. But they said, well, here's all the reasons why it's constitutional. No, it isn't because the court said it is, that doesn't mean it's constitutional. Go back to original meaning. And when you go back to original meaning, the whole point of, one of the main opposition talking points of the Constitution was that we don't want federal interference in the elections. Now, if the states decide not to hold a federal election, then the federal government can step in. This is how it was argued. But otherwise, states control everything. That's the original meaning. Not, well, we can intervene anytime we want because the Supreme Court said we could and because the language is there. That's a textual reading of the Constitution. Disaster. Disaster. And this is what conservatives often do, American conservatives. This agreement speaks to deeper problems within the conservative firmament after the Trump era. The Trump White House was very good at tearing things down. It's the hardworking staff here at Sporter Alerts has observed repeatedly. However, there was little creation or institutionalization of new ideas. Gee, that's real conservatism. You tear it down. You don't replace something that's unconstitutional or illegal with something else. Institutionalization of new ideas. So in other words, Trump didn't come in and act like an establishment hack and create all this institutionalization of everything. This is what bureaucracy is all about. It's what Calhoun wanted to tear down. And he said it as much. Look, you've got these two parties vying for power, and all they want to do is control the spoils. All they want, It's all about power. So Trump didn't go in and institutionalize stuff and create power. That's what Biden's doing. That's what Obama did. The Bush administration, the Reagan administration, the Clinton administration, this is what they tried to do. They tried to create institutionalization. And once you get institutionalization, it becomes like the big barge blocking the Suez Canal. It's very hard to get anything through because that thing's sitting there. you got all these bureaucrats who can't be fired, by the way, who are appointed and or hired in. I mean, This is the problem. Part of this is due to the vagaries of populism as a political project. What is, is Trump really a populist? I don't know. Another part was the initial alienation between the Trump administration and the conservative intellectual ecosystem. (laughs) I mean, this this is a perfect essay on what's wrong with American conservatism. The conservative intellectual ecosystem like Victor Davis Hanson or Dinesh Jesuser or uh, you know Hillsdale College? What are they seeking to conserve? Just a softer version of the left. That's all it is. So is that really conservative or is that just the left 20 years ago? I mean, this is where we are. The conservatives today are where the left was in the 1960s. Maybe late 60s, they're in that era. And then... Uh, 20 years from now, be the left was in the 1980s. And then 20 years from now, the left was in the Obama administration. This is how it's going to work, right, as the left has moved beyond that. Now, I'm not so certain the American public is there. I think America, the American public, as I'll talk about again, is getting fed up with some of this stuff. There's a, there's a, my next podcast is going to be a reaction to this. And it's a very clear reaction based on some data that's going on right now. And part of it was that when there was an attempt to inject new ideas into the public sphere, the execution was god-awful. The Journal's editorial board argues the best way to show its appreciation is to appoint successors who share the commitment to the ideas and principles that made Heritage great and help leave America even greater. This raises an awkward question, however. What are the ideas and principles that made Heritage great? Is it a defense of tax cuts Arguments in favor of the British monarchy, suggesting that statehood for the District of Columbia is unnecessary because yard signs? Well, I mean, how about just real federalism? How about tax cuts? Most taxes are unconstitutional. I mean, that's... And we can make the... Look, once you get the 16th Amendment, then it creates a situation we have to argue some of these things. Uh, But, regardless... You could even say, well, I mean, you can have a conversation about taxes, the British monarchy. These are these are slaps at conservatives. And yeah, District of Columbia. Well, it doesn't need to be a state because the founders wanted the city to be a state. They would have said so in the Constitution. I got an idea. Move out of the district. If you don't like it, go to Maryland or Virginia. Or how about Maryland, Virginia just take those areas back? Of course, the left doesn't want this because again, DC statehood means power. You get two senators, now you got 52 to 50. And they don't need Kamala Harris to come in and break the tie break the tie because they got two senators. This is what the whole thing was about in the 1850s, 1840s, 1830s is about power. That's what Calhoun was saying. It's the whole problem with it. Colster wants someone who will stand up to woke capital and advance the causes of social conservatism. Wegman suggests that a consensus candidate to Helm Heritage would be former acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, but it is difficult to see how a budget cutter fits Trump's vision of populist largesse. There are ongoing post-Trump efforts to build think tanks embodying his populist ideas, but there are reasons to doubt whether they will take off. Heritage has the advantage of a residual legacy of quality policy chops, built-in infrastructure, and decent ties with the Trump wing. In other words, it's establishment. These other things aren't establishment. But I think Americans are finally waking up to establishment on the right and the left is a real problem. And by saying that, uh, you know, woke capital, culture is up to woke capital, I mean, this is the real issue. The, The culture war, as Buchanan pointed out in 1992, is the future of American politics. And the culture war goes back to federalism, because if we had real federalism, this wouldn't even matter. It wouldn't even matter. You could have Ron DeSantis stand up in Florida and say, we're not going to teach critical race theory in Florida, and you could do that anywhere, in any state, and you wouldn't need the general government to say it. You wouldn't have a Department of Education, so it wouldn't even be an issue. If we really had constitutional uh, thought that was relying on the Constitution as ratified, well, then none of this stuff would even exist. There would be, no, be no power for the general government to do any of this stuff. And if you had a Supreme Court that was tied within the bounds that it was originally t- supposed to be tied into, well, then this wouldn't even be an issue. If you didn't have direct appeal of state decisions to the federal court system, none of this stuff would really be an issue. It's incorporation, which the court established for itself. I mean, there's so many problems with the layers, the onion, the stink of the federal government, the onion of it. There's so many layers that you got to peel back. That might be enough to cobble together a legitimately interesting conservative storehouse of ideas for the next generation of GOP leaders, so the next Heritage president is an important choice. The problem is that conservatism is in a state of serious flux right now. The Heritage Foundation of a generation ago was about low taxes, limited government spending, a robust foreign policy, and free trade. As of now, three of those four pillars are under ideological challenge from the right. Webman quotes an insider as saying, the truth is that Heritage has always considered itself, and will always consider itself, a fusionist organization. It's precisely when a party is out of power that it needs to develop ideas that can attract more than a minority of voters. But in all likelihood, the temptation to own the libs will crowd out a sustained effort to create anything new. To create anything new, either way, the choice of the next president of the Heritage Foundation should be a useful harbinger of what to expect from the GOP for the next few years. But heritage is part of the problem. It always has been part of the problem because, as that last paragraph points out, it was advancing neoconservatism on a regular basis. Foreign policy. Foreign policy drives domestic policy. If you can abuse the Constitution for foreign policy, you can definitely abuse it for domestic policy. So, what's the difference? All right. So that's my thoughts on American conservatism, quote-unquote, if such a thing exists. I don't think it does. I think conservative is either federalist or not. You either believe in federalism, which is based on the Constitution as ratified, or you don't. And then everything becomes, mostly everything I should say, becomes unconstitutional if you believe in federalism and you believe in the original federal republic. And that's that's where we should go. So, That's my thoughts on that particular piece. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.